The 2022 football season could have massive implications for the hierarchy in the SEC's Eastern Division. Why is that, you may ask? We'll be discussing that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your daily show for continuous South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. I am your host, as always, Andrew Lyon. And after having talked about recruiting, for the 2023 recruiting cycle for the last couple of shows, I wanted to sort of go back to looking ahead to the 2022 football season. And of course, it's the middle of June. It's the summertime. We're in talking season. So, you know, honestly, I don't think that y'all are going to mind this topic one bit in tonight's show. For tonight's show, we are going to sort of separate all of the teams up in the SEC Eastern Division and sort of create a national perceived hierarchy. And what I mean by national perceived is basically how the rest of the country views the SEC Eastern Division. It doesn't mean, of course, that that's the way the season's going to play out. And it's also not my own opinion fully. It's just mainly a gauge of what I have seen online, on social media, and on message boards alike for how people view the SEC Eastern Division this next season. So, going into 2022, a very unique factor heading into this next season is that every SEC East team is optimistic in some fashion. Quite frankly, I've only been alive for 23 years, which is probably a lot less than some of you who may be watching the show, but I cannot remember a time in my whole life of being a college football fan where I have seen every single team in South Carolina's division be super optimistic for one reason or another, and that is the really unique part, is that all these teams have their differing reasons for why they are so excited and ready for the 2022 football season. So what I'm going to do for tonight's episode is, as I said, I'm going to break up these teams into different classifications, starting off with the top and bottom for the SEC East. So starting off with Tier 1, which I named as the Tier of the Top Dogs, and yes, I may have done that for a particular reason, we have the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, a couple of things to note for Georgia heading into this next season. They are, of course, the reigning and defending national champions. According to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, in regards to recruiting, the Bulldogs, on average, have ranked two and a half, so basically second or third, in the country over the last four years. And, to top it all off, The Bulldogs have won 11-plus games in four of the last five seasons while Kirby Smart has been at the helm 
in Athens. Now, Georgia, of course, has a lot to be excited about, some for obvious reasons, but the thing that is so striking to me when looking at the Georgia Bulldog program is just how much this program has changed in such a short amount of time. Now, in my lifetime, again, speaking you know, as a fan, someone who's been alive since 1998, the Bulldogs have always been good. They've always had a very solid football team in the SEC. They've always been around nine-plus wins, had a lot of double-digit win seasons, won a lot of really good bowl games, and have always recruited at a high level. But the thing that is amazing with what Kirby Smart has done with this program is just how much he has somehow found a way to elevate the bar in every facet of Georgia's operation. So you look at recruiting. Again, I just mentioned the last four years, Georgia has ranked second or third pretty much on average over those four years. Whenever Mark Richt was the head coach before Kirby Smart came along, Mark Richt, if you remember, I think was hired in 2000 or 2001 and was let go after the 2015 season. Mark Rick normally had the Bulldogs, I think, in the top 12. They may they may have been 12th at a minimum, and then at a max, Georgia would normally find themselves maybe like 6th or 5th. So they were recruiting really, really well year in and year out. But despite all of that, Georgia just could not really win the big games later in the season. What I mean by that is maybe games to win the division, so obviously a lot of really Great matchups between them and Florida. And also SEC championships. You know, you think back to the time when Aaron Murray was the quarterback for Georgia in the early 2010s. You know, Georgia was in the SEC championship game for 2011 and 2012. Both years, they couldn't get it done. And as good of a quarterback as Aaron Murray was, it was normally because they didn't have that guy at quarterback. Now, if you had told me three years ago, that Stetson Bennett was going to be the quarterback that was going to lead Georgia to the national championship they've been seeking to win since their last title they won back in 1980. I would have called you crazy, and I would have probably wanted to check your drink. But that's what happened. And Kirby, because of that, has found himself now at a very at an elevated position when it comes to college football, the weight that his opinions carry. You notice that Kirby is now more talkative than he's ever been as a head coach. And because of all this, the Bulldogs are, by and large, the top dog in the SEC East. Now, looking at the bottom tier of the SEC East, we have what I call the bottom feeders. And the bottom feeders, there's only one team that fits this category, in my opinion, and that's the Vanderbilt Commodores. Now, a couple things to note for Vanderbilt. They have a couple positives working in their favor. They hired Clark Lee, of course, during the 2020 offseason after letting go of Derek Mason, whom, despite having gone to a bowl game a couple of consecutive seasons, I think in 2016, 2017, or maybe you add a year to that, Derek Mason just hadn't really done a whole lot in a couple of years. But, of course, people would point to the lack of administrative support that the Vanderbilt Commodores football program had there. Well, that all is about to change. As back in August, the Vanderbilt administration announced as part of the Vandy United campaign, they would be spending $300 million, which will include an indoor practice facility, a football operations center, 
and a south end zone facility for prominent boosters and new student-athlete dining center. This all comes along with a renovated locker room that was unveiled to the Commodores football team this past offseason. So the administration has finally forked over some cash. They have forked over some serious dough to try to get Vanderbilt caught up in terms of facilities with the rest of the SEC East. Now, getting back to Clark Lee, Clark Lee, the important thing with him is he is a Vandy alum. He's a guy that played fullback for Vandy in the early 2000s. And because of that, in my opinion, he's a very good fit. He fits what Vanderbilt needs, which is somebody who knows that place like the back of his hand and knows how to promote. Clark Lee understands he's not going to be able to point to trophy cases because if he does, a lot of those trophy cases, quite frankly, are going to have a ton of dust collected in them. And because of that, he's not going to win recruits over with that. So he's got to focus on the living arrangements for Nashville. Nashville is a beautiful city and it's a really growing hub. He's got to focus on the academics. Vanderbilt is one of the preeminent academic institutions in the entire country. You've got to focus on guys that are going to prioritize that maybe more than others. You can still point to the fact that you are a part of the SEC. So obviously, the potential for NIL could be limitless. So when you count in all of that for the Vanderbilt Commodores, I think that despite the fact they won two games last season, Vanderbilt has a bright future under Clark Lee. I think he's going to make them competitive again in a couple of years. It might not be immediate, but I think that Clark Lee can have an everlasting, profound impact for his football program. Now, coming up next, I'm going to discuss tier number two in the SEC East, which fills in the gap sort of behind Georgia. Who are sort of those next teams behind the Bulldogs? Before I do that, I want to pass along a quick message from our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info, where you'll find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's NBA championship matchup. Man, what a game it was the other night between the Warriors and the Celtics. I don't think there's a betting man out there in this country who watches the NBA that would have bet on the Warriors winning if they were told that Steph Curry was not going to hit a single three in a playoff game for the first time ever in his legendary career. You've also got the NHL Stanley Cup Finals between the Avalanche and the Lightning and regular season Major League Baseball games as well. And of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC all the way to boxing. BetOnline acts as a continuous source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and much, much more. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so getting back to these tiers that I have for the SEC Eastern Division, I'm going to start off in Tier 2 with the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, Kentucky... As of this moment, and I have to agree with this, they are the perceived second-best team in the SEC East. I mean, they finished second in the division last year, and they also finished second just four years ago in their 2018 campaign, which had, of course, that great defense that was led by Josh Allen and an offense that was led by Benny Snell in the running game and was good enough to win 10-plus games that season. They're coming off just their fourth 10-win season in their program's history. 
They also had the 14th ranked recruiting class in the country for the 2022 cycle, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. And according to an article written by MSN's Jason Markham, the Kentucky Board of Trustees approved a $30 million project back in February, which will involve renovations to the Nutter Field House, making it 100% football-based, and new video boards for Kroger Field. So, as you could tell by everything I just listed off, Mark Stoops has done wonders with the Kentucky Wildcats football program. When Mark Stoops took over, I want to say he took over for Joker Phillips for Kentucky. I do not recall off the top of my head, but Kentucky was abysmal. They pretty much hadn't won more than five games in the three or four years prior to Mark Stoops arriving to Kentucky. They didn't have an identity. The fan support, while I'm not going to flat out say was completely desolate, it definitely was not there compared to, say, their men's basketball program for obvious reasons. So Mark Stoops didn't necessarily have a lot to work with, again, besides the fact that Kentucky is in the SEC. And through some really smart recruiting strategy, having built an identity for his football program, Kentucky has now become one of the most physical teams in the SEC and subsequently has won has won a lot of games over the last several years. I mean, you think about what Mark Stoops has done with his recruiting. Mark Stoops has been smart in realizing, okay, I'm not going to win every single recruit in Tennessee. I'm not going to be able to go down far south and compete with teams like Georgia, like Florida, like Alabama, and Auburn. I probably can't even contend with teams like Ole Miss and South Carolina and Mississippi State. I'm just not going to be able to win many recruits down there, if any at all. So what is it that he's done? Well, he has locked down his home state. And Kentucky, in my opinion, is a very underrated school when it comes to high school football recruiting. He has gone into states like Iowa and Indiana and Ohio. And he has gotten guys that, you know, maybe they have been looked over by other programs like an Ohio State, like a Michigan, so on and so forth. And he has also built up a good staff of guys that can develop talent that they have. And because of that, Kentucky has become a team that you can no longer look at the schedule and say, oh, that's an easy win. Now you look at a game against Kentucky and you say, oh boy, we're going to have a real tough game on our hands. If we, even if we win this game, it's more than likely going to be an absolute dogfight. They are not going to, they're not going to lay down. They're going to, they're going to make us earn this one. So what Mark Stoops has done with that program is just astonishing. That is why I have them in Tier 2 for the SEC East. Now, another team I also have in Tier 2 is the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, the Volunteers are coming off a 7-6 and six season where they were very competitive in pretty much every single game, with the exception of Florida and Georgia, where by halftime and a little bit into the third quarter, those games were pretty much all said and done in favor of their opponent. They also broke multiple school records on the offensive side of the ball under new head coach Josh Heupel, who obviously uh, is notorious for the up-tempo no-huddle offense that he lives and dies by. And 
Yes, if that means that the offense is only out there for maybe 12, 15 minutes and the defense has to literally stay out on the field for 45 minutes, that's fine. He's going to bank on his offense being able to make enough explosive plays to catch the defense napping enough to where they will score enough touchdowns. It won't matter what your offense does. They are going to win the game. That is his philosophy. And in a lot of ways, at a minimum, it brought a lot of really solid attention to the Tennessee program last year. They also had the 18th best recruiting class in the country for the 2022 cycle by 24-7 sports composite standards. So I have to be honest, when Josh Heupel was hired by Tennessee, I didn't really see it as a real big home run hire. I did not think that this was a hire where four or five years down the road, people were going to all look back on the hire and say, yeah, Tennessee absolutely nailed it. To me, it sort of had a it had a feel of a Jeremy Pruitt type hire. What I mean by that is, you know, Tennessee. I don't think really, I don't think they got any of the first few guys that they had on their list when they let go of Jeremy Pruitt and were looking for a new head coach. The timeline also wasn't very great either. It wasn't very favorable because they fired Jeremy Pruitt in February of 2021, either early February or late January. I should correct that real quick. But either way, way farther long than any other program would wait if they were going to make a move like that. And so, really, truthfully, it was like, what options does Tennessee have? So, athletic director Danny White, who was at Central Florida, decided to put in a call to his old head coach at Central Florida, who was still there, and uh, let him take the keys to Tennessee's car for their football program. And Josh Heupel has just come in there and really done a lot more than I think anybody, especially outside of Tennessee, could have expected. We all knew that he was probably going to statistically make Tennessee's offense look way better, but I don't think anybody expected someone like Hendon Hooker, who was a decent quarterback at Virginia Tech, not someone who was like all ACC, but he was pretty solid. I don't think anyone thought he was going to go in there, throw for 3,000 plus passing yards, have 31 touchdowns and three picks. I don't think anyone saw that coming. That's the kind of impact Josh Heupel's had on Tennessee's program. Now this offseason, you're seeing their name brought up everywhere with all of these offensive playmakers from the high school ranks and all of them being four- and five-star guys. So Josh Heupel and Tennessee, they have gone from being a team where it's like, okay, the goal should be to make a bowl game to within a year now, a lot of people think this is a team that should contend for the SEC East potentially with Georgia coming off a national title season and them losing subsequently a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball, especially as they believe that this could be the type of year where someone like a Tennessee or a Kentucky could maybe surpass Georgia for at least this season. There's also another team that a lot of people across the country still think will have a solid season and still labels as an SEC contender despite everything that's happened recently, and that is the Florida Gators. Now, the Gators, of course, have just hired Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette as he went 40-12 and 12 in four seasons there, including two Sunbelt Conference championships, both in 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic season, and 2021. They also had the 18th best recruiting class in the country for the 2022 cycle by 24-7 Sports Composite Standards. And they are in the process of building the James W. Bill Heavener Football Training Center. It is no secret to people who really follow these programs in the SEC, people who are not necessarily maybe just casual fans 
uh, uh, not Tennessee, Florida has surprisingly for all the success they've had in their program's recent history, they've actually been a little bit behind in terms of facilities. And they have been trying to catch up in that aspect over the last year or so, I think. The COVID-19 pandemic maybe affected that to a slight degree, and apparently Billy Napier has tried to make some changes in-house as well to sort of make the player environment uh, a lot more accessible and therefore a lot more attractive to prospective recruits. And you look at the support staff that he's hired. If there's one thing you got to say about Billy Napier, Billy Napier seems like a guy, he's not going to leave any stones unturned when it comes to organization. This is a guy that has hired a lot of support staff members, has a lot of specific responsibilities and duties that he doles out to his support staff. He is a guy that believes, it seems like, in strength in numbers, which, of course, can't necessarily blame him for that. A lot of the best programs in the country, they all have a great support staff behind the actual coaching staff. So, of course, Florida fans... They're not going to handle just winning 9, 10, 11 games anymore. Florida fans want to see the Gators going back to the SEC championship game. They want to see the Gators consistently beating the Georgia Bulldogs again. It is really sticking in their craw that the Georgia Bulldogs have won the national championship, have obviously as of right now surpassed Florida as the top team in the SEC East. They want to get back to being on top, and a lot of people across the country still think that Florida will do well this next season, just purely based off the talent and what Billy Napier, I think, did at Louisiana Lafayette. A lot of people seeing them winning at least six games, and some even saying eight. Now, again, I'm not going to give any predictions or any of my thoughts on that just yet in this video, but I will at a later date. But nonetheless, that's the national perspective that people have on the Florida Gators. All right, now going into the last tier for the SEC Eastern Division, I'm going to talk about teams that are, they, they show a lot of promise and they right now are probably just viewed as teams or programs that need a little bit more time or maybe within a year or so for one reason or another they need to show, they excuse me they need to show some results i'm going to start off with the south carolina gamecocks now some of the things to note for the gamecocks they are coming off a 7 and 6 season from the 2021 campaign that a lot of other fans outside of this fan base did not see coming this included wins over Florida and Auburn at home, of course, along with a dominating win in the Duke's Mayo Bowl over North Carolina. They also reeled in the ninth best transfer recruiting class in the country this offseason, according to 24-7 Sports, which included, of course, Oklahoma transfer Spencer Rattler, who obviously is a very polarizing figure for one reason or another. And they also bring back at least 73% of their production from the 2021 season, according to ESPN's Bill Connolly, ranking third in the SEC at the time of Connolly's article, which was written back in February. So for the South Carolina Gamecocks, obviously the Gamecocks have been on cloud nine since the Dukes Mayo Bowl. I'll be completely honest. Of course, I have a really good feel for where the program is right now, where the fan base at least feels about the program or what they feel about the program. And I can tell you, most Gamecock fans, they are extremely optimistic about this next season. They don't view this next season as daunting. Gamecock fans, and in my opinion, the Gamecock program is viewing it more so as a great opportunity for them to try to take the next step forward. Obviously, I mentioned it before, South Carolina won Enough games last year to make it to a bowl game and then blew out North Carolina in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. But besides the North Carolina-Florida games, 
They didn't, and Eastern Illinois for that matter, but they were an FCS program. They didn't win a whole lot of games by more than, you know, two touchdowns or even 10 points. They had a lot of very close games that they won. And if they lost, more often than not, they were blown out of the water. It wasn't even close. So obviously, there are still some certain areas where Shane Beamer and this coaching staff are trying to improve this roster and trying to improve this team. And I think they're well on their way to doing that. With that being said, I think that South Carolina fans, at a minimum, are really wanting to see this team win seven games next year. Obviously, a lot has to happen, and they're going to have to show up more in some of these games against their tougher opponents in order to make that happen. But nonetheless, South Carolina feels really good about where they are right now heading into the 2022 football season. The last team I want to talk about real quick is Missouri. So going into year three under Eli Drinkwitz, they have won half of their games in the regular season each year that he has been there up to this point. They had the 15th best recruiting class in the country for the 2022 recruiting cycle by 24-7 sports composite standards. And they return around 78% of their defensive production from 2021, which, again, it might not have been pretty most of the time last season. But listen, you'll take returning production as much as you can get it. It'll always be a plus for your foundation for next season when you have that much returning experience. By the way, that ranks second in the SEC, according to ESPN's Bill Connolly and the article I referenced earlier. So Eli Drinkwitz, he has sort of had maybe a little bit of an up and down showing up to this point. He's done very well on the recruiting trail breaking in some really solid prospects, including five-star wide receiver Luther Burden for Missouri's previous recruiting class in 2022. But on the field, it's just they've, they've been able to beat a few teams that maybe other fans didn't expect, but they've also lost some games that, quite frankly, again, kind of like South Carolina last year, some games just not even close. And Missouri fans, while, of course, they appreciate the efforts that Eli Drinkwitz has put forth so far, during his time there, these Missouri fans also want to see some progress. And year three is a really big season in terms of seeing what could this coach potentially do? How high is the ceiling for this coach and what he can provide to our football program? And if Missouri ends up still finding a way to make a bowl game despite losing Tyler Beatty to the NFL, despite Connor Basilek transferring out after maybe not having the most productive 2021 campaign, having a new quarterback, potentially true freshman starting, then I think those Missouri fans got what Missouri could potentially have and be bringing to the table in the future. So to bottom line this whole thing, why is it the SEC East could have such seismic shift after the 2022 season? Well, the point is simple. You look at the NIL rules and bylaws that have been put in by many state governments in the NCAA, or at least they've tried to, and you look at the transfer portal. Right now, the SEC East is in the equivalent of an arms race. There are so many programs that have positive things going for them, and the law of averages just tells us that that is not bound to last. This season is going to see some separation for one reason or another between many of these programs. If a program like a Tennessee, Kentucky, or Florida, say, has two or three less wins than maybe what they're expected to do, that could be detrimental to their momentum. While if Missouri or South Carolina wins two or three more games than maybe they're expected to win, that could be huge for them, and it could change their entire trajectory over the next five years. And, of course, you look at Georgia and Vanderbilt. Georgia still remains on top of the perch in the SEC East looking down at everybody else, while Vanderbilt is working really hard to try and get back to being competitive again. But there's so much that could happen 
this next season. And I don't think people are talking about it enough. You just look at everything for each of these individual teams, and you'll see a lot of fans that have certain expectations going into next year. And of course, expectations is always a good thing, especially when they're positive. But with today's day and age in college football with NIL and the transfer portal and potential booster involvement being increased in everything of the like, if you don't meet those expectations, you could very much see yourself out of a job or it could sink your entire football program's perception. Look at what happened with Brian Harson in Auburn last year. He was 6-2. and two. Some people were talking about him potentially winning the SEC Coach of the Year award. He lost the last four games in the regular season, then lost to Houston, I think, in the Birmingham Bowl. And all of a sudden, the boosters tried to literally basically run him out of town. They tried to get rid of him and fire him for cause. Now, I'm not, of course, saying that that's going to happen at any of these schools in the SEC East. But you, can, uh, my point with that example is this. It is so astonishing at how quick the perception of a team can change in just one season. And what we do have to remember, perception maybe isn't always reality. In college football, getting that positivity in the media is such a big deal. And subsequently, having negative narratives in the media is a big deal as well. So with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for today's episode of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show, and I hope you all have a great rest of your Wednesday. I will catch you all on the next show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast.